Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the How to Save Our Planet podcast. Now today I am talking to Suzanne Tumburu all about recycling. She is the CEO of the Australian Council of Recycling and if you're not sure exactly who they are then pretty much she knows the be all and end all about everything that is happening in recycling across Australia. This is a long and a juicy episode so let's get into it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. So as the CEO of the Australian Council of Recycling, what does your day look like? Are you just diving in and out of bins? To be honest, I wish I was. I think it's quite an interesting and intriguing role working in the recycling sector. And you always want to have a first-hand understanding of how things work and why they are the way they, they are. However, sadly, most of my day looks like me at the computer, in meetings, on calls, responding to emails, doing submissions. Have you gone to sleep yet? Uh, <laughs> and then when I'm lucky enough, and often I am lucky enough, I get out to go on site and see how the great diversity of our sector actually works day to day, which is a too rare, uh, but a rare treat. And it's one that I guess I'm, I feel like celebrating the most. It's what keeps me in the job. I love to see how this sector actually works and the amazing array of different kinds of recycling that get done. No, it's something that I am very envious of because I feel like it is my dream to go and just look at these recycling facilities in operation and be a fly on the wall and see everything that's happening every single day. So I wanted to ask you, I think after the temporary closure of the Red Cycle program, we've got a lot of people that are really asking questions about if our recycling is actually being recycled, which is, I think, great. I think we, people should be asking for greater transparency about what's going on. But I'd like to ask you, as the kind of expert, is our recycling actually being recycled? To put that in context, and thanks for asking, we recycle around 45 million tonnes of material a year. Now, often people probably only consider what they have a direct hand in recycling and often that lens is through what goes into the commingled recycling bin at home, what we call the yellow-lidded bin. Don't forget ever that uh, many of us also have a green-lidded bin, which is either food organics or garden organics or both food organics and garden organics. And so there are a whole lot of other streams. But outside of that, there is a vast array of material that also then gets collected and recycled. So we talk in industry speak about something called MSW, which is municipal solid waste, which is the material that gets collected from home. And that includes your general waste, the red littered stuff, your commingled, and often your, your FOGO, your food organics and garden organics. Some people around the country will have a blue littered bin that collects just paper. Some people will also now be getting a purple littered bin that collects 
also just glass. So that municipal solid waste accounts for, I think, probably less than a third of everything that is recycled in the country. And then we need to also consider what is collected through what we call commercial and industrial streams. Everything from big manufacturing facilities all the way down to your takeaway store, a really, really diverse array of different enterprises that all goes through a different form of collection that's um, not council run. And then, of course, you have construction and demolition uh, accounting for, as I understand it, around a 70 or 80% recovery rate. And so when you ask, does do things really get recycled in Australia? 45 million tonnes of material really get recycled in Australia. I'd say that uh, we can recycle so much more, we can recover so much more, but we're already recovering and recycling a whole lot. And Red Cycle was a really interesting scheme. It did a really great job of engaging a really great part of our community who are uniquely dedicated to environmental action, collecting about, I think, 10,000 tonnes of material a month of, of probably the most hard to recycle plastic that there is, the scrunchable soft plastic. And I'll go into to that material in a second. But to put it in context, we recycle about 340,000 tonnes of plastic alone a year. So Red Cycle accounted to roughly 3% of that. I don't want to discount how important you know, soft plastic recycling is, but we can't take our eye off the prize. We are absolutely uh, recycling a whole lot. We recycle, for example, you know, clear soft drink bottles in the form of what we call PET. We recycle milk bottles so made out of HDPE, another form of polymer. We recycle rigid containers. Actually, a lot of what gets recycled is what we call rigids, plastic rigid containers. They're what you are typically advised to put into your recycling bin. We recycle paper and cardboard. We recycle steel and aluminium cans. And of course, glass bottles and jars. They all come through our household recycling. When you scan out and then look at what else gets recovered, you look at construction and demolition. We recycle roads that are turned into recycled asphalt pavement, re-recycle whole buildings and infrastructure. They get torn down and then the aggregates get separated out and put back into infrastructure. There's an unimaginable array of new enterprise too. We've got a a facility, a world-leading facility up in Queensland uh, that is now doing advanced recycling of textiles, separating out your fibres, your polyester and your cotton and turning polyester back amazingly into PET and your cotton into an agricultural product that can be applied to land for soil enhancement purposes. I could go on, I won't Lottie. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the challenge of plastics and the diversity of plastics, but in a nutshell, yes, big time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's all that I needed. No, it's great. And I think it's so inspiring to hear all of these things that are happening and to hear about the textile recycling factory, because it's not something that we see on the front page of the paper. It's not something that the individuals know about. They hear about the doom and gloom and kind of the negative impacts and kind of the perceived failure of the Red Cycle program, but they don't hear about everything else that's happening. So I think it's really exciting to kind of have you on to be able to talk about the good that is happening everywhere. If you don't mind, let's deep dive a little bit more on the soft and squishy plastics because this is a kind of a topic that I'm fielding a lot of kind of questions about and inquiries and Instagram messages and everything like that. 
So with the program of soft and squishy plastics, like for me, my kind of, I don't know, my stance, correct me if I am wrong, is we need to stop our consumption and we need to reduce our consumption of the soft plastics so much. We need to stop our reliance on these kinds of soft plastic recycling programs. But do you think that we're going to be able to find a solution for the soft plastic recycling? Let's break it down a little bit. Firstly, it is my understanding, and, and I'm not a, like a plastic scientist or even a plastic advocate, but when you work across the array of packaging options that exist, particularly for food, there are choices to be made that have different preservation, hygiene, and environmental outcomes. And we are looking at competing priorities of stopping food waste, which is also a really big priority. In fact, you know, emissions from food waste um, it creates a really big emissions profile. And then we're also looking at how we manage waste in terms of packaging at end of use. So I think we need to find the right balance there. It's always interesting to hear the proposal that we, for example, ban plastics. I think we need to think a bit further ahead and think, well, what would that mean? Because uh, would we be then looking at a different form of packaging? How energy intensive would it be to create that form of packaging? What would that mean in terms of broader sustainability parameters? I know, let's swap out um, glass for plastic, for example. Glass is heavier. In some cases, it might actually, depending on whether you're making it out of recycled or virgin resources, it might be much less resource efficient. And in terms of being heavier, when you have to truck that stuff around, you're going to create more emissions in hauling food around. So you'd want to strike the right balance. You'd want to have probably a bit more of a nuanced analysis of what the full life cycle outcomes are going to be. My understanding, at least, you know, provided by the food sector, is that soft plastics are not something they landed on very lightly. It was a packaging format that was determined because it delivers the best outcomes for food preservation, for logistics, and generally in terms of overall environmental outcomes. However, at end of use, we have arrived in, I'd say, a bit of a snarl. So on the other hand, you addressed other priorities, which fall at a higher level in terms of a circular economy. We absolutely have to look at ways to reduce and avoid. That is in terms of both a zero waste hierarchy and in terms of circular economy, the, the first place you need to go. You know, do you need to bag up your bananas? I would argue no. Do you need a, do you need uh, appropriate packaging for your frozen peas? I would argue yes. And so choosing really wisely, firstly, is the first priority and where possible, absolutely reduce and where possible, absolutely reuse. At some point, all the things that we make will reach an end of use and that's where recycling comes in. So in terms of my role as the CEO of the Australian Council of Recycling, we're never going to argue that you, you jump to recycling first as the most important step in a circular economy. Once you expend all of the other priorities and all the other options, at some point, everything will reach an end of use. And at that point, that's where our job comes in. And that's where we need to figure out better ways to make sure that we can achieve those circular economy outcomes and close the loop in our production cycles. When it comes to soft plastics, one thing I think that we need to get better at understanding is that plastics aren't all the same thing. I talked in shorthand before about PET, HDPE. There are a range of polymers. I couldn't begin to name all of them, but I, I could name kind of the top few in packaging. Soft plastics aren't made of one thing either. And so ideally, they'd all be made of something called low-density polyethylene. Unfortunately, they're also made of things like 
I'm sure that some of your listeners might have heard of uh, PVC. They're also made of soft PET and a bunch of other stuff. Unfortunately, all those different polymers don't work well together when it comes to reprocessing. Some of them interact very in a pretty destructive manner with others. PVC, for example, as I understand it, contains chlorine or another format, another chemical that actually is pretty corrosive to recycling processes. So from a consumer level, all we can see is a plasticky looky thing that is scrunchable. So we'll chuck it all into a receptacle and send it off to a recycler. That then really limits what the outcomes for that material can be. Ideally, if we had a consistent kind of polymer, you could probably achieve some pretty high value outcomes and reach markets with that product that are more high value. When it's as mucky as it currently is, it goes to lower value. We call it downcycling outcomes. So instead of being able to go from a chip packet back into a chip packet, we're probably at the moment going to be looking at going from a chip packet into at best a park bench. Not to say that that's not a good enough outcome for now, but it is to say that uh, plastics ain't plastics. And we need to find better ways, much better, in fact, uh, in terms of the design of packaging to make it a more consistent format and a more consistent polymer. There is work being undertaken, for example, led by the Australian Packaging Covenant Organisation, APCO, to help to design packaging better and to create more consistent and more recoverable formats. That work hasn't gone far enough and their targets are not mandated. And, in fact, you know, for design of soft plastic, that has a lot more needs to be done. But in terms of understanding, you know, what is soft plastics and what are the options for it, it's too mixed right now and it's very hard to recycle. And so when you look at what happened with the with the scheme that had a huge amount of community support, we did a really great job in collecting and aggregating that material. Where it started to fall over, and this actually exposes recycling as a system rather than as one single thing, the other two key elements to recycling One is collection, job done for soft plastics in terms of their retail drop-off. The other two are processing and end markets. Those other two really started to hit some bottlenecks. So in terms of processing, firstly, there wasn't enough infrastructure to appropriately process this material and take it on well enough. And considering how hard it was to recycle, you need some pretty uh, gritty kit, I'd say, to take that on. And thirdly, the markets for what that uh, infrastructure processed were not big enough. So let's put it this way, there wasn't enough uptake of, let's say, you know, the park benches and bollards that were coming out of these processes. So when we think about recycling, all those things need to be working together and well. And I'm not just talking plastic, I'm talking every different type of material stream that exists. You need collection to work well so that you can efficiently aggregate and direct onto a facility. You need it to be processed, which sometimes involves a whole lot of different infrastructure. You need it to be well sorted. You need it to be reprocessed or pre-processed. If you're thinking about plastic specifically, cleaned up, shredded, turned into a pellet, you need to be remanufactured and you need a buyer for that stuff. And unlike any other manufacturing process where you can basically you know, you order your feedstock just in time and then, you know, the sale's made and it moves out and you take on your next load. In recycling, that feedstock never stops. And so if there's not kind of a a well-functioning pipeline for it to move, you hit a bottleneck and the whole thing just starts to, to have trouble. So 
it's really important to understand the system through which recycled material needs to pass, but also sometimes the diversity of that that material and how hard it is to process and then to find markets for. I think that's a really great point because I remember even when you could rely on the Australasian recycling label to tell you kind of if something could go back to be soft plastic recycled, I was looking at something the other day that before it must have been like a, I think it was a wrap packet, like a plastic wrap packet. And that said kind of, no, you need to put this into my landfill bin where I was going, no, this is plastic. But then if you look at the different types of materials that were used and the amount of kind of labeling and the colors on that, that was kind of what was, I think, the trickier part that made it into that landfill only, not able to be soft plastic recycled. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, it's, it is really hard to tell at a glance, particularly with your soft formats for soft plastic, what it is and where it belongs, which is where, you know, the IRL does and will continue to come in handy when there is a new scheme uh, set up to collect soft plastics. That's going to be important. The other thing that we highly recommend is uh, ACOR's app RecycleMate. One of the challenges we have in this country with about, what, 530 or 70, I'm fuzzy on the numbers, forgive me, but over 500 <laughs> local government areas, each one of them having their own arrangements for curbside collection and therefore at times quite different lists of what goes into commingled and organic recycling, it's really hard to make general rules about what goes where. Now, I've heard it said, and this is not my quote, so I'm not going to own it, but sometimes we need to break people's confidence in recycling in order to remake it. At the moment, the rule would be always check. And if you're not sure, the app RecycleMate will geolocate you. It will identify the local government area that you're in. It will therefore identify what processing system sits at the back end of your local government area and then what's appropriate to put into your recycling bin, what's appropriate to put into your FOGO, what should go into your general waste. But most importantly, where you can take anything else that is recoverable for it to reach a second life. So there's so much that can be recycled that doesn't get recycled through your curbside system. And RecycleMate lifts the lid on all of that and will identify all the different places near to where you are where you can take something, you know, where, where you take your runners, for example, for them to make their way through your Tread Lightly program or where to take your coffee cups so that they can um, make their way through to a Simply Cups, I think it's called, um, program. We can't think of our, our home commingled recycling bin as the home for all of recyclable products but there is a vast array of options that you can find if you look for it. E-products, for example, absolutely never belong in your home bins, particularly anything with a battery in it. One of the things I find really interesting, by the way, Lottie, is um, we talk a lot in our sector about the fact you should never put a battery in the bin. I'm not sure uh, how familiar you are with just how hazardous that is. Um, that's the cause of a lot of fires in our sector. But what I often forget is 
just where you might find batteries and where we might forget they exist. You know, there's batteries, of course, in your phone. There's batteries in vapes. There's batteries hidden in every self-powered device. And so often the public might think of a battery as like this, you know, little double or triple A cell that you hold loosely in hand. They snuck into everything I find nowadays and all of those are a real hazard in our recycling streams and, in fact, in our waste streams. So priority is to look up where you can take it and make sure that you keep it out of your recycling stream because otherwise you're actually not only contaminating that stream but putting a whole lot of recyclable material at risk of going to waste or burning down a whole facility. So um, there's a lot to be learnt and, and some of it is kind of hard to navigate. So look it up, look up RecycleMate. It'll find out where you are and it'll tell you what to do. No, it is amazing and it's one of those things as well. I think that there is people just want the easy solution. They just want to be told exactly what to do and that's why I really think that RecycleMate is such a great resource because if you ask somebody who works in a different LGA to where you live, it could be a completely different recycling system. So at least having that resource in your pocket is such a handy tool to be able to actually just kind of give you that quick answer without having to do a really intense Google and to actually find out what's going on with it. But it is also one of those things people just want it to be easy. And that's what I find is difficult with the batteries, for example, is the way that you've explained it is great because it kind of, it puts into more context exactly why we need to keep them out of our landfill and our curbside recycling bins. But I think that there's the return of the kind of the returning and the collection process of the soft plastics was such an easy thing to do. And with e-waste, there are a couple of retailers where you can take that back. And I know that a lot of local councils are also saying you can deliver your e-waste back to them. But I feel like there's just, there's so much more that can happen. And I feel like there's so much opportunity. There is an access is a really important element of recycling and resource recovery if it's not accessible and it's not convenient I'd say most normal people are just going to chuck it in the wrong place or they've got that bit that drawer at the bottom that's just I've got the drawer that's got the batteries the old phones (laughs) the e-waste that I keep on meaning to go yes I will take that to the right places but it just ends up being that miscellaneous drawer as well another question that I wanted to ask you was about people in rural and remote communities because I feel like there's a lot of conversation about kind of soft plastic schemes and all of these different amazing specialty recycling programs but for people in some areas they don't have a recycling bin a curbside recycling bin they might have to drive their waste to a landfill as well so is there anything that you know of that is happening for kind of people in rural areas yeah there are moves to improve accessibility or access to resource recovery and recycling options you're totally right in fact RecycleMate has identified this too in mapping the entire country and all the different deposit options let's put it this way for products at end of life rural and remote communities do have a challenge. One of the things I take heart in, for example, as the e-product stewardship scheme is being revisited by the federal government, that question of access is something that is top of mind and making sure that people have options for disposal. So it's a system that hasn't been mapped well enough yet. Different governments around the country are I'd say earnestly working on this and with tools like RecycleMate those tools can also then identify what those gaps are I mean I'd heard it mentioned that there was a person out in in remote Queensland 
he'd, he'd come back to recycle, the recycle made administrators and said, you guys are basically telling me to dump my e-waste. Um, they're like, what do you mean? And he explained that, well, you said to me that I can't put it in my household bin, but you've also given me there's no option for dropping it off. But identifying where those gaps are then helps policymakers and it helps those delivering the infrastructure to understand, well, where do we need to make things easier? Who can we partner with to provide those drop-off points? I mean, Officeworks, for example, is a great partner in supporting disposal of e-products and mobile phones, for example, and a range of other, I think, um, items as well. I think including batteries. And so partnering with either retail locations, partnering with postal offices as well is going to be where we need to find those opportunities. And I guess as an observation, those in rural and remote areas, we found they're really well organised, you know, because they don't go, they do have to travel quite far. They do get quite organised to do what they need to do. And so they would be, I'd say, a really great part of the community to engage if you provide them with options. And so those options are are evolving and they're growing. Not enough are here right now, I do absolutely concede. But as I understand it, with the growing uptake of product stewardship schemes and better streamlining of how those schemes work in terms of deposit options, we're going to see some better outcomes there too. Container deposit schemes, for example, have set pretty strict targets for access for rural and remote communities. And we're hoping to see those types of targets for access applied for other product stewardship forms as well. I've got two more questions that I want to ask you. And first of all, it is, what are you most excited about in the in Australia's recycling industry? Like I know you mentioned the textile recycling in Queensland earlier on, but is there something else that is so cool and funky that you think that everybody should know about? Well, I'm a bit boring, you see, because I get excited about policy. And so <laughs> one of the most exciting things, and, and again, I, I'd fear of, of putting you and uh, and your audience to sleep. One of the most exciting things I saw was that at the, towards the end of last year, Australia's environment ministers joining together to commit to a circular economy by 2030 and identifying the priority of not just working with the recycling and the waste sectors to deliver that target, but working across the entire supply chain. Because we can't actually deliver a circular economy unless everybody has an oar in the water. Our sector's doing its bit, but we need to start with design and manufacturing and the community's role is is vital in, in participating in collection and so on. So firstly, that, that's kind of the nerd's, I guess, take on what's exciting. <laughs> from a, I guess in terms of what I've seen in the sector, uh, it's there's almost too much to mention and some of it, I guess, is probably less glossy but really incredible in terms of the scale and the outcomes. I visited a facility the other week that, you know, one of the biggest manufacturers in Australia, if not the biggest, of particle board, which is something that is probably in every bit of joinery in everyone's home, but we don't see it and we don't pay attention to it. It is everywhere. And they're finding ways to incorporate recovered wood into that particle board in a hugely scaled way. I think their main challenge is getting access to the feedstock, actually being able to collect the right quality of recovered wood to swap out for virgin timber. So it's exciting because, you know, we're not having to use as much virgin timber. It's also exciting because 
We are using a recovered material that therefore doesn't go to landfill and doesn't take gas. And it's exciting because it's a ramp, I guess, a, a jump in, in technology and processing because it's not an easy swap. The other thing that I think we really need to understand is you can't just plug and play with recycled material. It's quite diverse. You know, when I say the word contaminated, what I mean is it's got other stuff in it that you wouldn't find in virgin products, nails, stones, you name it, that wears down the kit for manufacturing. There's a whole lot more that needs to go into reprocessing this material so that you can just swap it out for virgin but when you see that actually succeeding and being delivered at scale and then like turning into a shiny new product that gets put into everybody's home that for me is incredibly exciting I did mention I mentioned the Queensland Enterprise Blocktex that takes polycotton and turns that into, through an advanced recycling process, turns that into PET, which can, can go into any other plastic product. It can go back into textiles. It can go back into, as I understand it, you know, food packaging or a whole lot of other outcomes. And they even salvage the cotton into a high-value agricultural product as well. At some point, my understanding on the horizon is the opportunity to turn cotton fibre back into cotton fibre. We'll get there. Not quite yet at scale in Australia, but we are leading the world in some types of enterprise. What we see in terms of e-product stewardship as well, we're getting more and more sophisticated in being able to extract more value out of really hard to recycle stuff. I mean, if you think about just how complex and composite a lot of our electronic products are, you're basically really mining for some firstly valuable critical minerals. And then the question is, what do you do with the rest? Again, we're making progress, particularly in terms of advanced recycling. And when I say advanced recycling for plastics, effectively turning that back into its original chemical component, which is oil, and then deriving value back out of that, ideally with the trajectory of turning it back into plastic. On the other hand, not everything can be recycled into its original format. And then we look at other outcomes that are higher value than landfill, like energy recovery. One of the other things I think that we need to be much more nuanced about exploring is what energy from waste really means. I'd say some of the community imagines that that is incineration, just take a pile of garbage like we did in the olden days or maybe not so olden days, set it on fire and voila, energy recovery. <laughs> that is by far the case in a lot of the um, processes that I've seen. For example, you know, I've been down to South Australia and seen how with material that is not recoverable and not recyclable but has what is called a high calorific value is processed to a specification to a product that then goes into concrete kilns and replaces coal, has a lower emissions profile than coal and supports the concrete industry. So there are other ways to deliver energy recovery that have higher levels of let's say refinement and sophistication that have a benefit in terms of emissions that are a good valid coal replacement. And so I'd love to see, by the way, a better dialogue in Australia about energy recovery because we would by no means support recyclable materials going into energy recovery. On the other hand, there is a lot that can't be recycled right now and maybe into the future we'll still struggle with what we call residuals and we'd love to see how they might be diverted away from landfill but actually achieve a higher value outcome. And if that's energy, then, then that's a better outcome than landfill. 
No, I think it is so exciting. And all of these different topics that you're touching on now, I just want to ask you more questions about because I'm like, this is things that we need to be talking about. And people don't understand the concept of waste to energy right now, but it's something that you're right. We do need to be talking about a little bit more, but I'm conscious of time and everybody needs to kind of probably be inspired and go and take action. So I want to ask you, what is one actionable thing that our guests can do tomorrow to help save our planet? Look, the first and easiest thing you can do is continue to recycle and make sure you recycle right. Making the right choice at the bin does make a difference and ensuring that you are avoiding recycling and avoiding contamination of recycling streams is important. The first important step that the community can take, both the business and individual level, is making sure that they separate right at source because that means that the recycling streams can work better. Don't lose faith. One option for recovery for now has been paused. That will come back. There's just so much more you can do. And so, you know, going back to RecycleMate, check before you chuck something out, see where else it might be taken. And also, you know, to think about it more broadly, RecycleMate doesn't just identify recycling options, it identifies reuse options and donations options as well. So if something is fit for donating, and please make sure that it only fit for (laughs) properly fit items are donated, it'll identify where you can take those too. So I'd say the first easiest thing to do, recycle right. But if I could chuck in another one, by the way. (laughs) Go for it. Go for it. Really kind of try and push the barrow for uptake of recycled content. As I mentioned before, recycling isn't one thing. To put it very simply, it's three. The first is collection, and that's where the community really plays the strongest role. The second is infrastructure, and that's where we play a role. The third is markets, and we need and without markets, recycling doesn't happen. And so finding ways to buy and procure or just constantly pester and ask for recycled content and Australian recycled content is something that can really help to push to promote and progress recycling outcomes and promote and progress circular economy outcomes. No, I completely agree. I can't remember who said it and I keep on quoting whoever this person is, but they were saying that the true recycler is the one that actually purchases the recycled content and that's what we want. You wouldn't believe the debates about who the true recycler is. My sense is that uh, it's a system and every part needs to work. (laughs) Yes, very, very true. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been so enlightening talking to you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 